Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Thoughts May Vary. We have a good one in store for you today. The quietest we've ever been. (laughs) We were just in awe of Joanna's amazingness. Let me just tell people who Joanna is. Joanna Kendall and I met in kind of the height of the pandemic in 2020. And she is the founder of the National Alliance for Eating Disorders. And ever since that initial conversation with her, I was just so in awe of her presence and her lived experience and the way she imbues that into her work and how many people she helps today. We knew we had to bring her on the podcast. So Joanna had a decades-long battle with an eating disorder herself. And from her place of recovery, ended up founding the Alliance in October of the year 2000. The National Alliance for Eating Disorders is the leading national nonprofit organization And they provide referrals, education, and support to individuals experiencing eating disorders, as well as their loved ones. And so they offer different things like educational tools and weekly-led support groups. And they have an amazing national helpline that's actually run by clinicians and not volunteers, which is super unique and beautiful. Joanna actually goes into detail about everything the Alliance has to offer at the end of this episode. So make sure to check out the links below or stay tuned to hear more about them. They are just such an incredible resource. And quite frankly, one of my favorite Instagram follows. <laughs> Truly, which you made sure <laughs> to mention at the end too. <laughs> yes, this I is, did. This is definitely, listen, you should be listening through and through to all of our episodes. But I will say that this episode is definitely one where you don't want to miss anything that Joanna has Absolutely. to say. Absolutely. It's estimated that 29 million Americans will experience an eating disorder at some point during their lifetime with somebody dying every 52 minutes as a direct result. And yet only about a third of individuals experiencing eating disorders will ever receive treatment. This was a conversation that was so at the forefront of Meadow and I's mind since we started Mm -hmm. this podcast. Joanna has been our number one we need her on from the very beginning. So we knew this was going to be an important conversation. And we talked about literally everything and still have so much more. She's going to come back on. But to give you you a little sneak peek of what we're talking about today, Joanna shared with us her story and why she started the Alliance and everything that the Alliance has to offer. We spoke about the genetic link to eating disorders, the power of a diagnosis, when and how to ask for help, the cash 22 that is social media. Yes, we talk about Ozempic. Okay. Mm-hmm. She helped explain and understand a helpful peer support model. Yes. We also revisited the conversation that Meadow and I have a ton on the podcast of the idea of change. And mm-hmm. we got her thoughts on leading a healthy lifestyle versus falling back into your disorder and her advice to understand the why behind your actions that can be helpful. We also talk a lot about accountability, the power of forgiveness. And we wrap up talking about early intervention and what we can do if we see a loved one struggling. This was there's 10 out of 10. There's really so much in this. Like every every answer she gives is so thoughtful, so much from the heart. There's so much tangible tools and resources and information and just, quite frankly, one of my favorite episodes we've done. Me too. I learned so much. I'm so grateful to Joanna for her vulnerability, her thoughtfulness, and just everything she does. I think you guys will really enjoy it. So here's here's our conversation with Joanna. Take it away. Oh no, we seem good to go. Okay, we oh, seem ready. We're rolling now. Awesome. Joanna, I was telling you earlier that we literally start the majority of our episodes. Like Meadow and I will just be having a conversation and then I'll yeah. just like 
the little red button and then all of a sudden like the beginning starts. I love it. I mean, that is how, that's how like I want to listen to my podcast, right? Like this Uber like produce stuff. I'm like, fantastic, but give me real, give me life. So I love everything about that. Oh my gosh. We're so happy you're here. So So happy happy you're here. We also were telling Joanna before we started recording, we have been manifesting this wink, wink, nudge, nudge (laughs) for like a year. So (laughs) it's kindred spirits are aligning today. Yes. I love that. And I'm so damn happy to be here. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Joanna, we start all of our episodes by asking our guests to tell us what they're currently unpacking. It can be anything. You can go big, you can go small, however you feel, whatever that, however that resonates. So not to start off this podcast on this note, but, um, I lost my father several weeks ago. So um, so I think that that's currently what I am, you know, really working my way through. So on a personal note, that's what I'm working on. And I think on like a professional note, what I'm unpacking is just the disappointment in the politics within communities, not like politics, mm-hmm. like we talk about DC, but just like inter-community mm-hmm. politics. Um, and they're not being space for all individuals to have a seat at that proverbial table and not all voices being heard. So there's a lot going on in my therapy sessions right now. (laughs) I lost my dad when I was 17. So my heart is overflowing with love for you right now. You know, I really appreciate that. I know that that. feeling well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you know this and I've experienced this, but my big thing that I always say to people with grief is that Time doesn't heal all wounds. It just creates the space for you yeah. to add more love around the grief. Yeah. yeah. yeah I That's saw all this, it does. I saw this amazing image and I'm sure everyone has seen some version of this of like, you know, this glass canister and a very big ball. And it like at the beginning, it feels like the ball is hitting yeah. all sides of the canister. And just over time, the ball of grief stays the same, but the canister just gets bigger gets and bigger. Big. Exactly. So yeah. it's that same thing. And, you know, it's, it's a really interesting time in my life as well. Um, you know, and I'm so grateful for so many tools that I learned mm-hmm. on my journey to recovery. But I'm, I find myself in this sandwich generation that that is a very odd place to be where I'm taking care of my mom and also taking care of my child. So it's yeah. just like in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and also rem- remembering that, you know, there has to be space for me too, which um, was not always how it was. And, you know, uh, some of the amazing tools that I learned through my journey was, I can't really take care of everyone else if I don't stop to fill up my own cup and put on my proverbial oxygen mask. So I know that putting it into practice a little bit harder, but you know, we are a very, I am a very messy work in progress and uh, so damn happy to be able to show up in conversations like this as myself. So. And we appreciate you doing it. I know. Seriously, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I'm excited to hear more about those tools that yeah. you learned during your recovery that can help years later through a situation that might have had seemingly nothing to do with what that recovery was for in the first place. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's like the biggest misconception is, or that I had, not the biggest, one of the misconceptions. There were a lot, but I wasn't just recovering from my eating disorder. I was recovering to live my life. And so many of the mm-hmm. tools that I learned through the journey of recovery are things that I needed that I I really wanted and and really had to have in order to live 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 my life. And so it wasn't just recovering from an eating disorder. It was, you know, allowing myself to take up space, allowing myself mm-hmm. to use my voice, 
also allowing myself to have boundaries and saying no and saying, you know, I have to, I have to show up too. I have to, I have to be on top of that list of like the hundred things that I have to do. Like if I'm 101 on that list, I will never get to myself. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's so much of what I learned throughout my, my um, treatment and throughout my recovery was just that I and, and all of us that experience eating disorders and, and even those of us who don't like deserve to take up space, deserve to be seen and heard and valued. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into that story a little bit because I remember the first time speaking with you, which must've been what, 2020? I think so. Yeah. It was at the height. I think it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. The pandemic. I think so too. I remember just really connecting with your story too, because we both grew up as dancers and that like formative identity and the body dysmorphia and eating that cup. Like I just, I remember just feeling so seen by you. So I'd love for you to give background on that story and then how that led into the Alliance. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I I always share when I, when I talk about my story is that for me, my story began long before I was around. So my, my father, um, was a Holocaust survivor. Um, Mm. and so, and my, my mother came from extreme poverty. So you know, that transgenerational trauma, that epigenetics that happened Mm -hmm. um, very much was a big part of, you know, my life growing up. The the Holocaust was a part of my life, even though we never talked about it ever. You know, as far as genetics goes, we know that of all the causes that contribute to the development of an eating disorder, about 50 to 80% is genes. And and then with the trauma, and so they they ran in my family, they Mm -hmm. still run in my family. And so Genetically, I was what you would say screwed, um, but we all know that the genes don't necessarily mean that it'll happen. It's just mm-hmm. you know the likelihood. So I had the genetics, I had the 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 characteristics, the temperament, that people pleaser, mm. that perfectionist, that black or white, that all or nothing. That also you talk about dance makes you a great dancer, great athlete, oh, yeah. you know, great uh-huh. scholar. Right. You know, when I started walking, I, I walked with my feet turned in. So my parents thought, well, let's let's put her in oh. ballet to like sort of fix that. And then to their, you know, chagrin, I like saw this professional ballet dancer in a tutu, pink tights and point shoes and was like, that's what I want more than anything. I mean, it was like a real life fairy princess at the time. I think I was yeah. three or four at the time. And, you know, I was given the gift of, of, of dance. And from the age of 10, I, I danced at pretty prestigious academies and schools around the country. And at my ballet studio, there was a lot of pressure of, you're going to be the one that takes us all the way. And mm-hmm. I remember it was the summer before seventh grade, I was around 11 and a half, 12. And the artistic director of the professional company came into our ballet class and said, we're doing a brand new production of The Nutcracker. We want you all to audition to dance in the corps de ballet. Um, but before you do that, we need you all to lose weight. And it was a very blanket statement. And I was mm-hmm. a lot younger than the majority of the the, the, the the females in the class. And I took it as a directive. Like, you win at all mm-hmm. costs. It doesn't matter what you do, but you figure it out. And, and this was the late 80s. I'm totally dating myself. I'm 44. I have the gray hairs and the wrinkles to prove it. But at that time, everything was fat free. That was the craze. Like it wasn't yeah. before the no carbs or the whatever, whatever the like the shit that's going on. Whatever right trend. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I thought. I remember telling my my mom when I got into the car that night is I'm going to go on a healthy food diet, and that was mm. just really what I was going to do. And you know, having a child now that eats all the beige 
literally she eats just beige <laughs> um, that, you know, when your child says, I want to eat fruits and vegetables, like, of course. Mm-hmm. And I have to, to share with the both of you that I didn't look out the window that, that day and said, you know, it's a beautiful day in sunny West Palm Beach, Florida. I didn't want to have an eating disorder today. But I think I shared this last time we talked. It's like it was the epitome of the path to hell is filled with good intentions. Like I yeah. wanted mm-hmm. to better myself. Um, so I started eating healthier and more restrictive and exercising more. And we auditioned and my much to my dismay, I was the only one out of a group of 15 girls that didn't get cast. And they pulled me mm-hmm. aside and they said, you know, Joanna, the reason why you didn't get the part is not because you're not a good dancer. On the contrary, because you look so young. You just, we can't put you up there next to these professional adults. And that was my first encounter with that really bad game of telephone that individuals with eating disorders will have, or someone will say something. And then what you hear is totally different. Mm. What I heard was you didn't get the part because you are too large. And that's really what I heard. And I made this commitment to myself that next year I would do whatever it takes to get the part. And again, I just want to clarify, I did not say I'm going to start acting out an eating disorder symptomatology. That was never my thing. Mm -hmm. And that's really where my eating disorder began, where I started to restrict more, exercise more. And before I knew it, I was engaging in in anorexia nervosa. And my my story continues for over for the next decade where I experienced um, you know, low weight anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, atypical anorexia nervosa, binge eating disorder. And the thing that was pretty phenomenal for me is that there were definitely times in my story where early intervention should have happened. Because Mm. at that time, I was that archaic stereotype of who develops eating disorders and what they look like. You know, I was that lifetime after school television movie Mm -hmm. that like that people were watching. And there were a lot of times where I in my struggle where I wasn't, where I lived life in a much higher weight body. It didn't matter where I was in context to weight. There was zero intervention. When I lived life in a higher weight body, there was all talk about you should probably lose weight, even though they sort of knew about my, my, my history and I had no access to care. And it really wasn't mm-hmm. until I, um, I had ultimately had to stop dancing because, you know, my doctor, my mom, they really didn't understand the eating disorder, but they also knew that if I continued dancing, it would probably end up killing me because they thought if I didn't dance, then I wouldn't have an eating disorder, like very simply. And, mm-hmm. you know, naive me was like, if I don't have to wear pink tights and a black leotard every day, I don't have to be concerned. Um, so I stopped dancing. And that is really where my depression really kicked in. My anxiety kicked in. And unfor- unfortunately, I had some suicide attempts during that time as well. Um, because I didn't, I had lost the one true identity that I've had for mm-hmm. so long. And I didn't know who I was outside of my eating disorder. That ultimately led me to find my way to what I do now, meaning that beyond my identity of just being a human that danced and a human that experienced an eating disorder, I also someone who lived my life with an eating disorder and knew that if there was any way that I could recover, I would pay it back and move it forward. Hmm. I wish I could tell you that the journey to recovery was just a, like a switch I didn't get access to care because at that time I was living life in a larger body. Insurance wouldn't pay for it. My family did not have the resources. And so for a lot of my my recovery, I went to free support groups, like AA mm-hmm. meetings, even though alcohol mm-hmm. was never my thing. I wanted to be in a space where people spoke very similar language to what I was mm-hmm. going through. 
And ultimately, I found care through a like a community mental health clinic, and I started to recover. That is really when I had thought I wanted to be a psychologist that specialized in the treatment of eating disorders. But I realized that to me, I had to I had to go back to that seventh grade version of me that felt like I didn't deserve to to take up space. And so I called my parents up and I said, so, you know, the whole grad school thing. Yeah, um, not going to do it for now. So I deferred grad school for a year. I took out a student loan and I used that to start the alliance. And then I moved home to West Palm. um, And that was at the end of 2000. And, uh, you know, 22 years later. Wow. Here I am. So, yeah, that's a long version of a a story. (laughs) No, but but a beautiful story and a story that yeah. I'm sure so many people can relate to. I mean, there's so many touch points that I want to go back to in, in what you shared. And thank you for sharing that with us. But just from like the beginning of what you were explaining of you don't just wake up and decide no. this mm-hmm. is what you're going to do. And I love that you brought up the genetic piece of it as well, because Meadow and I were talking about that mm-hmm. prior to, to recording when we were you know going over all of the things we wanted to chat with you about. And I was saying, I was like, it's so interesting that there is that genetic link that I was not aware of that I never really paid attention to. There must be such power in understanding because I I feel like so many of us that have experienced an eating disorder, disordered eating in some way, a lot of it like links back to control. Mm -hmm. And knowing that there was a part of us that was predisposed in a way is very freeing. Mm-hmm. So much. I, I'm so happy that 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 you said that because for so long the bricks that I carried in that proverbial backpack of the shame with the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I can't believe mm-hmm. I chose to do this. I can't believe right. I caused myself and my family and my loved ones so much pain and 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 sadness and fear. And I I literally my eating disorder almost ripped my family apart. And it was it was actually significantly in my recovery that. The first studies were coming out. Dr. Cindy Bulick's studies were coming out on on the genetics of eating disorders, mm-hmm. and I found myself exhaling for the first time. And we say that all the time in our support groups that, that 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 we hold is that we didn't choose to have eating disorders, just like someone doesn't choose to have diabetes or cancer. Mm-hmm. There is a much bigger force out there. Eating disorders not only do they not discriminate on who they affect, right? They don't discriminate between age, gender, race, class, sexual orientation, body shape and size, ability, neurodiversity, but they also are not a disorder of choice. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. tends to be a game changer for a lot of people. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it's, oh, the genetics are there, so therefore white flag, let me experience it. But it's when you're walking through it, it also gives you that idea of well, if you have a trip and a fall, which inevitably you're going to on the journey to recovery, let's take a beat when the shame rolls in and think if someone was recovering from cancer hypothetically and they had like a relapse and needed more chemo or radiation, it would not be, oh my God, I can't believe that I'm strong. I'm not strong enough, have enough willpower that this was something that I did. It was, this is the disease. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what eating disorders are. It's mental health mm-hmm. and mental health, physical health, it's all health and needs to be treated on par and on the same playing field. Yeah. It speaks so much to your wisdom that you went to AA because mm-hmm. even as you're describing all that, it feels very similar to how we treat addiction. Like, totally, oh, yes. it's your choice. Stop using drugs, which is absolutely what we know now is not true. It's also interesting, though, because it's like, at least in my head, it feels like this catch 22 of 
it wasn't my choice. There's, there's circumstances out of my control and that's freeing. But then also like, I still have to control what behaviors or actions I take in order to choose healing yes. mm-hmm. and choose treatment. Yes. So I guess I'm just kind of curious how, like where that line was for you and, and in general for other people, like when is, when is the time for treatment versus like, if you don't have access to resources, what can you kind of do on your own to empower that? and not fall into that control that we know is so wrapped up with eating disorders. You know, I think you just said it so beautifully is we definitely have to hold space for the fact that only 30% of individuals with eating disorders will ever have access to care. You know, so mm-hmm. a large uh, a, a large percentage of folks that will experience this will never be able to access care because of the prohibitive cost, because of of managed care, um scarcity of of mental health services, um stigma Oh, Mm -hmm. so much stigma, you know, because again, to this day, even though we just talked about the fact that eating disorders do not discriminate, when you say eating disorders, you have a vision in your head of of who it is, you know? And I mean, there was, so at the beginning of the pandemic from a Friday to a Monday, we had to totally flip from our in-person brick and mortar support groups to our virtual platforms. And it has been such a beautiful silver lining to a really shitty time in, in all of our lives, right? Yeah. And there is an amazing group member, um, male identifying dad figure, if you will, lives life in a much higher way body, who literally said it. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it ties into what you're saying. He's like, I would have never, ever walked into an eating disorder support group if I had to physically yeah. walk in. But yes, the fact wow. that I can hop online and I can get the support, get the love, get the makes it okay. And, and that, that human not only has been joining our support groups, but then actually with our help connected to a higher level of care, has a therapist, has a dietitian, is on the road to recovery. And I will yeah. tell you, had it not been for these virtual services where he literally mm-hmm. didn't have to walk into a space of, let's be real, probably all female identifying, probably all Caucasian, yep. probably primarily very small bodied, that it makes you othered and it makes you othered in a space that yep. you are already othered. And, you know, going back to the first part of your question is like, when do you know, like when to be like, I need help. Mm-hmm. And the, the truth of it for me personally is I came to a point where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and not, you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. say that was my rock bottom because, you know, for me, like I just kept on digging very honestly. Like, I don't think there was a, there was a rock bottom for me. I had this moment in my experience with my eating disorder where the fear of change, because again, you talk about that control is like the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't, yes, um, uh-huh. was a little bit less than a desire to just maybe open the crack the door and just peek out to see what life was beyond my eating disorder. Mm. Because even though my eating disorder was that maladaptive coping mechanism that kept me afloat, it was also still drowning me. And I knew that it was going to end me. And I wanted to show up. I I wanted to live. And as scary as it was, I had this fleeting moment of, let me just see. And of course, I was like, after that, I was like, oh, hell no, I don't want to do this. (laughs) And it was this beautiful mess of one step forward and three steps back and two steps Mm -hmm. forward and one step back. And I think that that's not something that people talk about a lot because we're so black or white, because we have such a binary way of thinking. It's I'm going to be in recovery or I'm going to be in my eating disorder. And mm-hmm. when you come to this concept of food, which you need to live, it cannot be an abstinence-based recovery because you need to engage with it 
every single day of the, of, of your life. And so it's this idea that you will trip and fall, but it's not about the trips and the falls. It's about what happens in that moment after. And it's mm-hmm. not just about getting up. It's realizing that you deserve, in fact, you need that, that extending hand to help you stand up. Because I will tell you, there was a lot of times where even if I wanted to stand up, I couldn't. And I needed help mm-hmm. and support to do that. Mm-hmm. So I was just thinking about this when Meadow asked that question about when is it time to ask for help or seek help? I know that in in my personal experience, it was very much like a, well, we're all doing it. It's not that big of a mm-hmm. deal type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that led to, I don't want to speak for like other people in my life, but that led to me never seeking help, mm-hmm. seeking any treatment, seeking any diagnosis, never really addressing mm-hmm. it until mm-hmm. I was much later in life. What what I guess is like a piece of advice for people who are like, well, it's not that like, it's not that deep. Like I can stop. It's like, it's not that serious yet. Or like, it's not going to get that serious. Mm. Like what is the line of like needs treatment? Is there something else we can be doing in the meantime? You know, I, I really appreciate that, that, that question. And, and I think my surface answer would, is when you can no longer do life, when your eating disorder is at the driver's seat and navigating every part of your life, but I will tell you is that's a really, that's really like the sneakiness of the disease of the eating disorder mm-hmm. is that it will tell you that you're never quote unquote sick enough, no matter where you are. And, you know, I think that that's one of the big misnomers of like, oh, well, I'm not quote unquote thin enough. I'm not dysregulated enough. I'm not depressed enough. Mm. I'm not anxious enough. I can still do life. And, you know, one of the, one of the, the cornerstones of, of eating disorders, specifically when it comes to anorexia nervosa, for example, is this concept of anosognosia, of lack of insight is where you think you are fine. I will tell mm. you, when I was experiencing my eating disorder, I thought I was fine. I really wasn't. And I think that we live in a world that, that normalizes eating disorder behaviors. Yeah. Oh, it's very weight stigmatized. It's very fat phobic. I literally, if I hear one more thing about Ozempic being yeah. used, I'm going to lose my <laughs> mind. Wrote this down. You know, Gabby was like, dying to talk, talk to you about this. That's a whole, that's a oh my God. podcast on its own. Yes. But like, and then, and then you turn around and I don't know if you all have talked about this yet. The bullshit AAP guidelines, the American Academy for Pediatric Guidelines that say now that you can tell kids as young as three years old mm-hmm. to go on diets mm-hmm. or that you can I tell kids Alliance post about it about like 12 year olds that that it's OK to get their bodies mutilated and get gastric bypass like mm-hmm. no period. No, like, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think because of all of that, we've in turn normalized eating disorder behaviors or disordered eating mm-hmm. behaviors. And it's like. Exactly like what you said, Gabby, of like, well, everyone else is doing it. It can't be that bad. Well, yeah, it, it is. And I mean, there's a reason why eating disorders have the second highest lethality rate of all psychiatric disorders with someone losing their life every 52 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's also realizing that you don't have to live that way. And mm-hmm. I will tell you, we have a long way to go. And I think, you know, you go back to what you originally asked me about unpacking, like that's some of the stuff I'm unpacking. And so many of the folks around me are unpacking. Yeah. And that's so validating hearing you say that too, because similar to mm-hmm. Gabby, I feel like I had an experience in college where looking back now with hindsight, I'm like, oh, I had orthorexia. 
But then I would have Mm -hmm. never, it was like, I looked the best I had ever looked. So many people are complimenting you and validating you like, oh, you're in your early twenties. You're like finding your body. But only I knew how obsessive my thoughts were, how I scheduled Mm -hmm. with where I was going to eat that day. You know, you only can know that for yourself. But so getting into more of the weeds, I've heard you speak before about dieting in general, but also like intuitive eating and the fad that is intuitive eating and how that maybe is not so helpful for people that have kind of disordered eating patterns in the past. So I kind of want all of your thoughts around like not following into a slippery slope. If you don't have access to care, what are some Mm -hmm. ways you can start to help yourself in terms of a healthier relationship with food? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I am like number one fan of intuitive eating if you are at a place where you can practice intuitive eating. Mm. And in fact, I I just, I, I have to share this with you because I nearly crashed my car yesterday. I have a six-year-old amazing human for a child, like literally I am so not a kid person, but I just, I love my child (laughs) so much. Like I'm so that person to be like, you really want to see a picture of my kid, right? Like (laughs) we, of course, like ever since she, we would read stories, like all of that. It's it's like your body's amazing, but you know, there's no, I mean, her first book that she, that, that she was supposed to read in kindergarten last year was good food versus bad food, which I literally almost like, I lost my shit on the teacher. I'm like, we don't, we don't believe that stuff. She tells me in the car yesterday, cause she is, um, again, all the beige loves Uncrustables. (laughs) And so, Oh, that was my favorite when I was little. She says to me, you're the best do you know how many calories are on an Uncrustable? And I was like, oh, for the love of everything. So I pull over my car because I'm like, we are, we're going to be late for school because we are going to have huh. this conversation. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And she said, oh, my friend, insert her name, told me about calories and how an Uncrustable has a certain amount of calories. And I was like, do you know what calories are? And she's like, nope, have no idea. And I was like, well, they're units of energy that we take in in order to be able to do karate and to dance and to Mm -hmm. sing and to sit and to, you know, Mm -hmm. sleep. And I said to her, I'm like, baby, you have to remember that, you know, our bodies, if we actually listen to them, they tell us when we're hungry and they also tell us when we're full. But because we live in the world that we live in, sometimes we're not able to connect to that. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you listen to your body? I said, what do you do when you're, when you're hungry? And she's like, I eat. And I'm like, and what do you do when you're full? She's like, I stop. And I said, okay, that to me is the most basic intuitive eating. But mm-hmm. when you're struggling with an eating disorder, let's be real, you have a complete disengagement between mm-hmm. your hunger, satiety, and mm-hmm. anything physical. And so when you are struggling with an eating disorder, whether it is orthorexia, binge eating disorder, ARFID, whatever it is, you might not be able to start with intuitive eating when you're at, mm-hmm. at you know, when you just are starting your, your recovery journey, because you're literally not going to be intuitive at all because the eating disorder mm-hmm. is going to be front and center. And right. so for me, I couldn't do intuitive eating. Well, it wasn't even a thing back then, but I couldn't do intuitive eating. I had to do very mechanical eating at the time because mm-hmm. I didn't know when I was hungry. I also didn't, I mean, I was full all the time, like in my head told me I was full. And so I had to start mechanical eating at the time. And then once I was able to be at a certain place, that's when the intuitive eating came in. And that's when I could sort of do what I would told my six-year-old is, you know, eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. And I also want to hold space for the fact that there's a lot of people out there that will never get that access. And so mm-hmm. for if that's where you find your, your, your yourself, 
please join one of our, our free therapist-led support groups. Our groups are not in lieu of individual care, but we have six different groups a week. We have about 22 support groups in person across the country, and we're adding a ton more in the near future. Start somewhere because you don't have to walk this journey alone. I would love to get your thoughts on social media because we talk a lot about (laughs) particularly TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. And there is on the one hand, such power and beauty in knowing you're not alone in knowing Mm -hmm. that somebody else is going through something similar. And at the same time, there's also this danger and fear around self-diagnosis, around the concept of like egging each other on, Mm, a lot of body mm -hmm. checking. Um, I know that I have heard stigma and backlash against peer support models and Mm. the danger within Mm -hmm. that. And I would love to hear your thoughts on just all of the above. Yeah. And I think what you're what you're talking about is something that I find myself in a lot. This idea that you can feel more you can feel more than one thing at one time. Thank you so yeah. much for that Disney movie or Pixar. I think it was Inside Out where it was like, oh, you cannot just only oh. feel one feeling. Yeah. So yes, we can hold we can hold both, right? We can hold that dialectic of, you know, social media all of them were actually incredible, especially like during the pandemic of this idea that you're not alone, that, you know, you have folks of lived experience or shared journeys and you can be seen and you can feel mm-hmm. like not othered in certain situations. So I want to definitely say, yay, go them for that. Then on the flip side, I agree with you is I love the idea of pure model, like modeling. In fact, I think that's very much the future because we know that we have a lack of providers and clinicians. So we know mm-hmm. that when you have someone who share that lived experience, there's that, that extra layer of safety and of knowing. And when it comes to, when it comes to eating disorders, you have to be really effing careful because then right. it can become very competitive. And that's when you can mm-hmm. find yourself more in that like pro eating disorder space, which, right. oh my gosh, like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of those, they have sections that are just, they blow your mind showing you how to become better at your disease, you know, or like sort of this idea of like, you don't know what you don't know, but then finding out what you don't know. And then, oh, I could do this, or there's this challenge. Or I mean, like going back to the conversation of Ozempic, like, it got legs yeah. on social media. Like it really yeah. did. And now let me tell you, my friends that have diabetes cannot get their Ozempic for life. Like let's just wow. hold that space out there. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that we know the effects of social media. We have, you know, the Facebook files, we have research that has come out. And I also, just because this is who I am, I also want to say, yay, they do a lot of good and stop doing harm. And I don't know if they're going to be able to stop doing all harm because when you get folks on that, like in in a space where they're able to do that, but do a better job, you know, watch these algorithms. There's an amazing piece of legislation called COSA, which is the Kids Online Safety Act, where we're just asking for a little bit of regulation around it to take a look at these algorithms. Because when social platforms are making hundreds of millions of dollars on pro-eating disorder sites... There's something really effed up about that. And so for me, I think there's such beauty in, in walking this journey with someone that has a like experience, but just be very cautious on who you align yourself with or who you follow. That's when I share with people all the time is if you're following someone, if you're watching someone's TikTok and it feels bad, 
You have every right to unfollow, mute, block, do any of those things because let me tell you, like it can absolutely exacerbate, you know, the development of eating disorders, the intensity, the acuity of eating disorders. And let's be real, social media is not going away, Mm -hmm. but we have to figure out a way for it to be safer for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have somewhat of a self-serving question, but also I think just for people in general that want to be able to connect over their eating disorder and body image issues and kind of feel seen but also know like what's harmful and what's helpful or do you have certain tips like, you know, don't share fear foods or like, you know, do's and don'ts to healthfully have these conversations? Yes. Like, okay. So eating disorders awareness week is February 27th through March 5th. For example, the number one thing that I see every eating disorders awareness week is before and after pictures, which again, Oh my gosh. From a really great place really terrible, like really, really, really terrible. Because number one is we're saying that eating disorders have a look, which a number one, they don't, it doesn't matter what shape or size body you could be dying from your eating disorder. And let's start to eradicate the dangerous stereotype that, you know, they come in one size, which only 6% Mm -hmm. of all individuals that are experiencing eating disorders are medically underweight. So that just gives you perspective. But two, it really fuels that that competitiveness, that 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 that, that mm. triggering in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I would say ban the the before and after. Like please do that. Be very cautious on specifics. Like for example, in our support groups, some people come to our groups and they're like, I don't understand how this is an eating disorder support group, but we have rules of no specific talks of weight, of medication, mm-hmm. of numbers. Mm-hmm. And we even say how like please please do not share how long you've had your eating disorder for. And we're not trying to take away your experience on the contrary, but inevitably there's that, that competitiveness that comes in of almost, you know, very similarly to, to Gabby, what you talked about. It's like, oh, it's not that bad. You know, like when you compare yourself to, well, I didn't weigh that, or I didn't have my eating disorder for that, that long, or I didn't engage in this behavior. And that is, that is taking away from your experience. And so I sort of blanket, like, avoid specifics, avoid specific eating disorder symptomatology, you know, because all of that is just the tip of the iceberg. The eating disorder is just the tip of the iceberg. The eating disorder is about so much more. It's about the anxiety. It's about the depression. It's about the trauma. It's about the the co-occurrence, perhaps personality disorders. It's about all of that. And it's not just about the food. It can be about it. I want to hold that. But it's absolutely not at all just about that. Mm-hmm. A conversation that we have a lot on the podcast that I know a lot of our listeners resonate with from just the messages we've gotten prior is the idea that change is inevitable, especially when it comes to our bodies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. as as people who are able to give birth and have bare children, mm-hmm. like our bodies mm-hmm. are going to continue to change yeah. and that's an inevitable thing. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to the idea of, I guess to put it into context, for example, I had shared a little bit about sort of my journey and Mm -hmm. I have PCOS, Mm -hmm. which, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of doctors and and my gynecologist who's wonderful has really recommended specific things around certain foods just because of the insulin resistance that comes with that. That was very difficult for me to wrap Mm -hmm. my mind around. And at first I was really resistant to the idea because I was, I was textbook dieter. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do any of that because that's a diet. And then I'm going to go back into like hating myself and all these other things that are going to come with it. Mm-hmm. But then I look to my health and I'm like, no, no, no. But like there are certain things that I do sure, need to be sure, doing sure. just for my health in general. 
So I was wondering if you could speak to a little bit of the idea of, I know Meadow mentioned it earlier, but like that slippery slope Mm -hmm. that comes with wanting to live a healthy lifestyle Mm -hmm. versus when we can spot you know, when we're over-exercising yeah. and, and controlling our eating or overeating. Yeah. I guess there's just, just, there's toxic a very, behaviors yeah, general, there's a very yeah. fine line there. I, I, yeah. I, I love that you brought this up and I think it, it all comes down to intention, right? Is what is the intention mm. behind it? You know, and that was really, that was really something that I had to learn through my, my, my relationship with exercise, because that was one of my things, um, you know, being a ballet dancer and then, you know, being ridiculous in the fitness like world after I stopped dancing, like asking yourself the why before you do you engage it in, in in movement or eating a certain way. You know, something that we see a lot is, you know, obviously the correlation between PCOS and eating disorders. There's a huge correlation between it, but also chronic illness and eating disorders. And in fact, that's actually one of the groups that we're doing um, during our Not One More Support Group marathon, our, our day of support is this idea of, of chronic illness and eating disorders, because there's going to be some truths, right? Like there are going to be in that situation, maybe some foods that are maybe more egocentric that work better for you. And it's not eating disordered. It's just health-based, right? Mm-hmm. I think number one is examining the source of why you are doing this. And number two, and I cannot say this enough, is accountability. Mm. I will tell you that I believe that I have I have remained in recovery or recovered or whatever word you connect with because of my willingness to be accountable. And I will tell you as someone who literally is the face of a, of a national organization that I talk about the fact that I, you know, I, I've been in recovery for, for over two decades. It can be very humbling. And with all of that said is I can only stay as in recovery as I am accountable. And that doesn't mean mm. that I'm struggling. It means that when I'm stressed, because for me, like that is not so much a trigger for my eating disorder, but it's also a trigger of when I'm stressed, my appetite goes down. It just does naturally. Mm -hmm. And having someone in your corner saying, um, have you had lunch? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really examining that being accountable, examining the source. Like I have a very dear friend of mine who recovered from her eating disorder and then, then developed mast cell activation um, syndrome and has to eat a certain way in order to stay healthy. And she's like, I can't believe I worked tooth and nail for so long to recover, to only have to go to this. Like, Mm -hmm. was it worth it? And I was Mm -hmm. like, could you imagine like recovering, like actually struggling with an eating disorder and dealing with all of this? So my answer is yes, hard yes. You're gonna come into roadblocks. You're gonna come into detours and go back to the source. Go like, if you're Mm -hmm. able to lean back into for example, a dietitian that specializes in eating disorders, like bring that into the mix. You know, if you can't, do you have someone that you're accountable for? And again, take a look at the whys, why you are doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, That is so helpful. Similar to an accountability buddy, what are some other tools you learned in recovery that you find yourself using right now, even in grief? Or like what's some other favorite Mm -hmm. self-care tools that you use? Um, Definitely, I think reaching out for help, which is very yeah. hard. I will say that I was on a phone call yesterday with my executive committee from the board and I flat out said, I need help. And one of my, my board members said to me, I've known you for 12 years and I've never heard you utter those words. You, wow. you seem to always just, you like, you can tell that the world is on your shoulders, but you're like, it's fine. Everything's good. Like, it's all right. <laughs> I think knowing that I'm not supposed to, to know it all, do it all, 
and, and to ask for help. I think also remembering that I need to fill up my own cup before I can help others. That's mm-hmm. like also been a very, very big thing. Accountability in so many shapes and form, like for like talking about food, for example, but other ways like that accountability. Mm-hmm. And I will say the biggest thing is even though my mind still tries to convince me that everything needs to be perfect and everything needs to be black or white, that there is the most beautiful rainbow in between those two things and mm-hmm. to lead into that. And even though it's not as I thought it was going to be, being open to the fact that it's going to be the way it was destined to be and to not judging that. I love that you keep coming back to help because I've just been talking with people a lot in my personal life too about the fear of asking for help or being a burden or, or, or somehow you're stronger by doing it alone. And mm-hmm. the message at the end of the day, which is similar to you, is like, if I want to help the most people and like I'm here to go through what I went through in order to help others, how can I help this much or impact the way I want to by myself? Like yeah. you can only do that in community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also I would, I would add and to, to be honest and that is invulnerable. Yeah. That is so damn hard. Like I just, let me tell you, it's so hard. And, you know, I've been definitely leaning into, I mean, I adore Glennon Doyle so, so damn much. And, you know, with her share about her relapse and her work, and she talks a lot about vulnerability and and honesty and, Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, asking for help is probably some of the most vulnerable and most honest. And I think it's time for us to reclaim this idea of asking for help is not is not a weakness. It's actually a superpower. And it's probably, mm-hmm. you know, the um the hardest thing that you can do. And and we were talking about asking for help and we were talking about fear. And, you know, we were talking about this idea of of fear around asking for help. And I asked the group, you know, what is the opposite of fear? A lot of people said fear less. Mm-hmm. And an amazing member of group said to me, the opposite of fear is curiosity. And I went, mm. holy shit. Like it was one of those, like, please that. hold, I'm writing it yeah. down, you know, because like yeah. I need to like tattoo that on yes. me. Leaning into the curiosity of what would it look like if I allowed myself the space and the grace to do that? Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. Cause wow. I see your image. You said earlier of you peeking beyond the door, like that mm-hmm. curiosity yeah. yes. was, was yeah. stronger yeah. than the fear that kept you behind yeah. it. Yes. Even yeah. when it was scary afterwards. Like that's oh, so beautiful. Totally. Totally. Wow. I feel like that when when you were talking about asking for help, which is something again that we talk about all the time here, it to me resonates as the definition of working smarter, not harder. Yeah. Ooh, totally. A hundred percent. And that is actually my my partner's favorite quote in the world. And it makes me crazy <laughs> all the time. But the way that you just said it, like I'm like, oh yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. So thank you. Thank I'll you. Bring for, it to for, later. For, for you know. Yes. Um, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, no, and, and you know, as as you said that, the other thing that I that I thought of when you asked about what are some things like some tools yeah. that you've used. And one of the things is is that I think that we only lean into to those proverbial tools when the house is on fire. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. that like break glass in case like you need it. It's like, yes. that's the only time. And then I don't know about you all, but like, for me, I'm like, when I try it, it doesn't work because I'm like, what is this? Yeah. And I feel so awkward doing this. And I'm like, yeah. And it's this idea that you cannot wait for that, that, that house to be on fire to start incorporating all of these mm-hmm. tools. Like you have to do them when things are going really well and when things are not yep. going well. I will tell you, I have 
the most incredible rock stars in the world that come that that, that share space with us on, on these virtual groups. And I just I can't say enough about them. They've changed my life. And in 2022 alone, we've had, we had more than over 20,000 participants in our group. So it's just wow. folks from all 50 states, 72 countries around the yeah. world, the most diverse group of humans Amazing. you'll ever meet. And this human said, I come to group when things are going well. So I know how to make my way to group when things are not. And yeah. to me, I was like, that's what it's about. It's yeah. not about yeah. waiting until you need it. It's about doing it and making it part of your everyday you so that it feels fine mm-hmm. leaning into it when you need it. Totally. Then you can flex that muscle yes. when you need it because you've been, yes. you know, working. Well, that's a bad, I guess exercise is a bad analogy to make. You know, we get it. It's good. It was really good there. Yeah. 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 Thank you. <laughs> perfect. Um, I feel like a great place for us to to wrap up would be, we talked a little bit about early intervention in the beginning and the importance mm. yeah. of it. And I would love to hear a bit more about ways in which if we are worried about somebody in our lives, yeah. how to step in yeah. without crossing any boundaries yeah. or, or mm-hmm. you know, just, just ways that we can help. And on the flip side, if we are somebody struggling, but similar to your story, the people around us aren't doing anything about it, but see it, what are ways in which we can reach that, do that for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, And reach that hand out. So if you have a loved one that's experiencing an eating disorder, I would say the first thing would be is to educate yourself on what eating disorders are, what kind of help is available. Be very aware of of the information that you are seeking. So I guess bringing it Mm -hmm. back to that conversation of, of be very mindful of the information you're, you're looking at. Um, of course, I, this is where I come in with my shameless plug about about the National Alliance for Eating Disorders. As you absolutely I'm, should. I, I'm so. Yeah. I will tell you, like I just, I've been, I've, I've been leaning into so much gratitude. I think with so much happening, of the amazing humans that make up our team are just the best people I know, and I am so forever humbled and grateful that I get to share space and work with them. Uh, they've done such a beautiful job at creating amazing information. So I, I would say, learn first. What I would also do is connect with that that person that you're concerned about. Make sure to use I statements. Please don't be mm-hmm. accusatory. Don't, you know, and and let's not have 75 people around. Let's just have that conversation of this is what I'm seeing. This is this is what I've noticed. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. People ask me all the time, what could someone have said to you that mm-hmm. would have been a game changer? And I don't mm-hmm. know if anything would have been a game changer, very truthfully, but what I really wished someone had said to me is, I am so sorry that this is happening to you. I am so sorry that you're going through this. I can't even begin to imagine what you're going through, but please know that I'm here. I see you. I love you. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to walk next to you. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not they're like, which again, my eating disorder, eating disorders are maladaptive coping mechanisms are the thing Mm -hmm. that you hold on to. And even if they're not willing to say, you know, I need help, You've created that dialogue. You've made yourself Mm -hmm. a safe person Mm -hmm. and then continue to follow up with them. Like, I'm here. I love you. Making it a safe space for them to to reach out. Mm -hmm. And if you are struggling with an eating disorder, know that you are not supposed to recover alone. You're not supposed Mm -hmm. to walk this journey alone, that there are people and places that can walk next to you. Mm -hmm. We have an amazing helpline here at the organization. It's staffed by all licensed and specialized clinicians. And we don't, we don't use volunteers. We use pro- professionals so that we Which can is have very really... Unique. 
which is very unique world. I want to have that be known. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's so it's just that we can have really thoughtful psycho ed. We can do, um, you know, we can assess for safety. We can do all of those things if needed. Um, and we have a huge list of providers, um, all over the country. We can connect you to care from outpatient providers like therapists, dietitians, all the way up to acute medical stabilization, according to your insurance, your location, all of those things. Um, you have these amazing support groups where you don't have to even be an active participant. You can just log on and listen Mm. just to hear, just to be in a space where folks do speak your language. Mm and then, you know, again, know that you're not the exception to the rule, that 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 help is available and that recovery is possible, and that the journey to recovery is not going to be sunshine um, bunnies and rainbows, because you don't recover to utopia, you recover to life. And it's going to be messy, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be painful. And I will also tell you, if you're listening, that I've never met a single person that has ever lived their, lived their life beyond their eating disorder. And that turned around and said, well, that sucked. It wasn't worth it. You know, I mean, I am so grateful. I have to share with you that the last like few months of my life have been really, really terrible. Um, So much loss. I lost my father-in-law simultaneously. So it's been a lot. Mm. And there's, there's those moments where, and I mean, and I would be very transparent where I was like, shit, man, like, you know, I would like to not feel this for a moment. What's my alternative? acting out my eating disorder. And so after I act out, I come like I come back and now not only did how, uh, do I still have that loss, but now I've engaged in my eating mm-hmm. disorder. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. never going to solve anything. It's going to be a momentary fix, but it's never going to solve anything. So know that, you know, that you're not the exception and that it really does get better. It really does. Yeah. Oh God, that was so beautiful. I love you don't recover to utopia. You recover to life. Yeah. That was a bar. That is so beautifully said. And that's why you need the community to, yeah. I think you kind of answered this question just in saying that you can log on and kind of be a more passive participant, yeah. but are, are Alliance support groups open to family and friends? Like, so we, we actually have separate, so we actually have separate loved ones groups. Amazing. And so amazing. we have groups for loved ones, groups for individuals. Um, we have an amazing LGBTQ plus group. Cool. Um, and then during our, our national day of support, we have so many groups. Like my loved one was just diagnosed with an eating disorder. Now what? Like an ED mm-hmm. 101, like cool. you can find out, but we're only a phone call away. We're only an email yeah. away. We're only a DM away. This is why we're here. This is what we do. And we are a nonprofit organization for all humans that are experiencing all types of eating disorders that live in all types of bodies um, because there's not one way that eating disorders show up and there's not one way that folks deserve treatment, Mm -hmm. period. And speaking to the power of social media, y'all's Instagram is so cool. Like it's beautifully designed, such good information. Like the the graphics that you do, the info that you're giving out, like you're one of my favorite follows, truly. Especially as a oh my nonprofit. Gosh. Nonprofits never have good Instagrams. So are you kidding me? I will tell you, big shout <laughs> out to Yearround. They are the most exceptional branding, social media. Oh my God, follow them. They are, it's Year-Round. It's phenomenal. They are the best. Their team is incredible. But more than anything, they want people to learn. They want yes. people to follow. Yes. They and And I just... You can feel it. That's all I will say. You can, I can feel it. I've seen, I've watched the growth and the change and it's beautiful to see. Thank you. I will definitely let them know. 
Joanna, I'm so oh happy that we did this and that you were here. I appreciate I you so much and your openness and how much you're willing mm -hmm. to share and educate us. And every time I talk to you, I just... Can we please yeah, do this okay. again? Because I feel like there's, oh my oh my God. there's so much to talk about. Like When know, I say I feel... we cut two thirds of our questions for you, like it's not an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it again. And yeah. then let's just get, to, just so we can hang out. And plus we need to yes. hang out offline too. Um, yes. So thank you for um, for holding this space. Thank you for creating a platform for people to feel seen and heard and to feel connected to. And really thank you for, for holding space for us to have this conversation. Um, mm -hmm. Not a lot of people do. And with as many people experiencing eating disorders in this world, I think they deserve for all for us to do better and you are making it better. So thank you. Oh, thank you. You make my heart this so was full. Such, yeah. This was such a beautiful conversation. I mean, we knew going into it that we were just going <laughs> to be in awe of you. I don't think Meadow and I have ever been so quiet listening no, to somebody talk. Seriously. <laughs> you just say everything so beautifully and, and yeah. thoughtfully and you can just tell it's, it's coming from pure, you know, lived experience. And I'm just so grateful for you, you and everything well, that you do. I feel the same way. So thank you. Yay, and come back. Fest. Yeah. yeah. Done. See <laughs> you soon. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, y'all. How's it going, y'all? It's Aaron. Don't let your Monday suck. Don't have those Sunday scaries. I'm tired of everybody waking up in the week saying, ah, shit, it's Monday. You know what goes down? TMV releases every week on Mondays. Make sure you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching YouTube, yes, TMV has a YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and ring that noti bell and never miss a thing. And also, join the TMV familia by joining the Thoughts May Vary Patreon and by following at Thoughts May Vary Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you for listening. There you go. Thanks, baby. Gotcha.